Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. Hey everybody, we've got a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Jim McLennan. He now does strategic consulting on digital transformation for clients all over the globe. Until just earlier this month, Jim was the SVP and Chief Information Officer at IDEX Corporation, where he was for almost eight years. He helped enable and drive sustainable value creation and diversified global portfolio of businesses through effective use of information and technology. Jim has over 25 years of experience in a variety of business models and markets, translating strategic drivers into tactical plans and tangible results. His career spans multiple industries, including real estate, property management, building and construction, and maintenance services, pharmaceuticals, consumer durables, industrial manufacturing, and consumer packaged goods. Now, Jim is an author at MakerTurtle.com, which is a site that is a lightning rod for great ideas that practical people can put to use immediately. It acts as a window to broad set of insights and applied digital methods and skills with a focus on customer success, product innovation, value creation, and growth. Hey, Jim, it's great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. As far as my introduction, did I miss any uh, large gaps? That's quite a, <laughs> I think we covered every industry and every time. <laughs> That's the super long version. I, I definitely need a shorter, uh, a shorter intro thing. Hey, I have a ton of different experiences, a ton of different uh, types of companies, and, a, and a, definitely a passion for uh, applying technology, applying information to really solve business problems. Yeah. We have quite a bit on the agenda today, uh, Jim, and and so one of the one of the topics I know we're going to be talking about quite a bit is your work on thought leadership within this space around the concept of digital transformation. And before we get there, I mean, just as a as a teaser, some of some of the feedback that that we get, and and, and quite frankly, that I have personally working with large corporations is the fact that the concept of digital transformation is really a buzzword, and it's one we've been using for quite frankly, 10 years, right? And it means different things to different people. So it'd be wonderful to nail down what that means uh, to you, Jim. So that's that's one of the topics we, we plan on addressing. The other topic is, and uh, we talked about this before we hopped on the phone here, Jim, is regarding the central versus decentralized IT approach, right? And what you have seen work well. And if, uh, if you have a favorite, one or the over the other and, and how to how to really bring that to life. It's interesting to it sounds like it's two different topics, but really for for CIOs that want to be relevant going forward, that want to be part of the conversation, if depending on how you understand uh, central versus decentral, that's kind of a traditional CIO conversation. But digital is ooh, digital transformation. That sounds magical. But I think the really transformative uh, CIO of the future has to be able to understand both and convert the central versus decentral into not a solely focused on cost and solely focused on traditional IT, but central decentral is actually part and parcel to digital. That's a great intro, Jim. So let's start with the digital transformation. What does that mean to you and, and how has that definition perhaps changed even in your career, right, of what you've seen over the last 10 years, because now you're, you're consulting on it, which I think is wonderful. 
how has that definition changed for you? What does it mean to you now? Well, certainly most people think a, a transformation is I have a system that is X and I need to transform it to Y. I've got a, a, a parcel of uh, separate uh, operational systems and I want to transform into a central uh, ERP. Or uh, I have a lot of uh, uh, in-place stuff in my data center I want to transform to the cloud. And it's very uh, much of a mechanical IT-focused uh, topic. But I think really the the best conversations I'm having now around truly digital transformation is understanding the nature of the business is changing. Would you, and we talk about this topic quite a bit on the show, obviously, with different guests from all over the world and, and all, all different industries. Would you suggest, though, that digital transformation is uh, a way to bring IT from an expense line to a revenue line item for the company? No, I would never, I would never say something like that. Because to me, it's it's focused too much on IT. But absolutely, the conversation around digital, the conversation around uh, central, decentral, absolutely changes it from being an expense to really a competitive advantage, to really something that defines uh, how you connect with your customers and how you get the most value and how you bring them the most value. Truly how you create value can be driven by information and technology. Now, IT kind of connotes the IT department. And now that's, it's going to happen. This transformation is going to happen. The real challenge for CIOs is, are they going to be part of the leadership of that change? Is IT going to lead it? Or is IT just going to be, become an order taker and, and risk being outsourced? Sure, that's an important distinction. Yeah, I, one thing that I um, have seen, and I'd like to hear your, your feedback on this, Jim, if someone that lives it every day, right? is digital transformation, this concept of this, before we move on, right? This concept is really, has been such a buzzword, right? And I think everybody accepts it and understands in, in general terms what it is. How do you put that into action? How do you develop a, a roadmap for people like the CEO or the CFO to consume and say, what is this gonna do for us other than being another line item on the balance sheet, right? Yeah. And that's the uh, um, audience that you really want to focus on. You know, it's the CEO that tries to understand, you know, he's, he's focused on creating value for the shareholders and the, the street. And then there's the, the, operation, the chief operations officer who's really focused on creating value for the customer. And there's the chief uh, HR, the HR function, and really everybody that's really trying to focus on creating value for the employees and making making this a very engaging place to work because that whole thread of, hey, we're in a talent war and, and it's people that are really gonna make the difference enabled by technology, not replaced by technology. And so depending on who you're talking to, on really understanding what the, the, how the organization defines creating value. How do you create, because that's, that's the purpose of all organizations. All companies are built to create value. Now that's either for the shareholder, I'm either gonna to create top line value or more, more often than not uh, earnings, good solid earnings growth. That drives, uh, and, and, you know, and how you manage the money and, and what your intangibles are. So that creates shareholder return. Still other folks that say, no, 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 the way we create value is uh, really focusing on the customer and driving true solutions for their problems and getting paid for it. 
and then the third one would be absolutely this this idea of, of of building an engaging environment because you need these people to to move forward. Once you understand and focus on what it's really best, they're all a piece of it. But really, what's the primary way that the company defines creating value? Now you understand the definition of digital business, which is my five point five components that I just went through. And now it's an easier thing to say, well, we could do an as is, here's all the things you're currently doing. How do they map to creating value? Anything that doesn't map, uh, you get rid of it or modernize it. Anything that needs to be modernized, you can prioritize it based on how it's driving that value. So that, that's really the simple way to do it. Understand what, what value creation you're going for. How does digital map specifically to that? in these five simple areas and then now it's just line up the projects and do the prioritization based on impact and cost i think one of the key takeaways that uh that i just had from your explanation there was the co-creation of the definition of value is that fair jim absolutely uh, yeah with your stakeholders whether whether it be the c-suite or otherwise right yeah the, i'm convinced most people are talking about digital transformation because of this, what I call the third wave of IT impact. The first wave was 30 years ago and it was internal and it was all about ERP and automating internal process. The second wave was about 20 years ago and it was the internet fundamentally changing the relationship with our customers. And now this, this third wave is the IoT, internet of things and fundamentally changing the nature of the products themselves. And really, it's because IoT kicks up and people are saying, oh, my products are changing. Really, everything's changing. But it's been a process over the years. And there's going to be the next thing that happens. It's going to be either the next enabling technology, and I'm sure it's going to be something around AI because it changes the nature of the knowledge itself. But uh, these, these changes and waves always are, are always happening. We're, we're just catching the latest one. Oh, and I think the other wave that's happening is, is the changeover of the workforce and the expectations and experience of the workforce, what they want to see and what they what they bring to the table is different than in the past. And I know that's the topic on all of our minds here on the show, especially our audience, primarily CIOs, IT leadership, right? And I think that's a good parlay into our second discussion point of the central versus decentral, you know, IT organization. I, I would love to to hear some opening statements as far as what you think about the benefits and, and the cons of, of both models as far as when when a CIO that's listening to this podcast, right, is thinking about, you know, I've been thinking about decentralizing my organization for years, or I've been thinking about centralizing. What should they be thinking about? What pros and cons should they be weighing in their mind? Do you, do you mind speaking to that, Jim? Not at all. I know that central versus decentral truly at the end of the day is a conversation about what's the number one problem you're trying to solve. Are you trying to drive the top line and the relationship with the customer and really understand the best way to operate the company? Or are you trying to drive the bottom line and saying, look, this is something that is common. It's not differentiating. <clears throat> it's something that everybody has to do the same way. So we might as well do it the same way and take on some economies of scale. And I can absolutely make a wonderful case as to why we should centralize everything or why we should aggressively decentralize everything. It really depends on the, 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 the mission and the sort of core existence of what the company is. 
two examples. And these are my last two jobs. I spent six and a half years at a manufacturer of plastic disposables. And so a high volume, low cost, uh, everything, everything's got a good margin. So that's, that's not a problem, but high, high volume, low cost, high mix, uh, actually low mix, but the goal was 60 some manufacturing locations, five distribution centers. The goal was to allow the customer to be able to buy anything they want of everything we made and have a really uh, a great uh, delivery time. And so absolute centralization. There was nothing unique about these different uh, locations. Let's get everything in one planning system so we can absolutely optimize my supply chain, take out uh, working capital and have less sort of uh, money in inventory still having high. So lots of awesome reasons driving value for the customer had to do everything central. Tons of structure, tons of process, tons of cost savings. Compare and contrast to my just previous job, which was a diversified manufacturer, manufacturing high mix, low volume, high cost products, really highly specific niche little uh, markets, 50 separate companies, all companies generally related to each other in small groups, but hardly any economies of scale when it came to purchasing, when it came to transportation, global, everything was different. And that's okay, because that was a great case for decentralization. We basically figured that do you want to like chase nickels around the shop floor and save a little bit of money here and there on some PCs? Or do you want to have a really focused on the end customer uh, group that makes decisions in whatever, in finance and HR and legal and in IT that absolutely drive uh, a better service to the customer and are specific to that customer base and unique to everything else? And so that was a top line oriented one. And both of them worked great. Yeah, you saw a lot of duplication, a lot of uh, um, different ways to skin the same cat. And depending on the the different size of it, if you we were talking about buying PCs, nah, we didn't really care. If you were talking about investing in a core system to manage data for IoT devices, okay, that's something that we would consider centralizing. So just because the nature of it is very new and very, very expensive. But the purchasing type functions in that organization, not very important. But wildly different cultures and wildly different end objectives. And so the real driver here is what's your end objective that will guide you in the right direction. I like that distinction. Um, now, in your decentralized organization, right, explain to me the what worked well and what didn't as far as communication lines and as far as decision-making authority? I know you just gave a couple examples, but I think our audience, I can hear them asking me that question in my head, if you will. So if you could maybe expand upon that. Yeah, because the specifics of what we, we, we did centralize some things. There are some things in the, in the decentralized model that you absolutely have to centralize. It is a public company that sells to the defense, defense contractors and the Department of Defense. And so the requirement for um, cybersecurity controls, it was very, very high. So we absolutely centralized the network, centralized all security. And that was great because not only did we, it wasn't even a cost savings, but it became a strategic advantage for some of these small companies 
if they were by themselves, they could never get that level of compliance with uh, um, cybersecurity requirements. And they actually claimed it as a, a strategic advantage over their, over their um, competition, which is great. Uh, we also would centralize the ERP choice. We got an enterprise agreement for the software. We, we hired full-time teams as opposed to going outside. And so the cost of implementing an ERP for each of our um, business units was very manageable, extremely small compared to going out and going pro every single time. And it also allowed us to, for some financial and some operational things, put in not standard work, but best practices. Sounds like it's the same thing, but it's slightly different. Now, those are the really big and obvious ones, but there were things that we did great at decentralizing. For example, analytics, uh, reporting, e-commerce and customer-facing systems, uh, CRM, any operational systems on the shop floor, especially the shop floor. I mean, a lot of people want to put MES systems in all their different locations, but everybody has to be building the same thing. Supply chain planning, purchasing, everybody has to be doing the same thing or else that centralized planning doesn't work. If you take 50 different processes with no commonality, try to centralize it, you got a mess. So it was, it was very even conceptually the smart thing to do, but it was also mechanically the smart thing to do because it allowed you to put the smarts. And it was actually better for this idea of you have to tie digital to how the thing runs. Well, the people on the floor were the people that know how the thing runs. And so let's keep it local. Yeah. It's almost taking a common sense approach to where does decision-making lie in the organization? Absolutely. Based on the process flow you've created, right? Because you don't, want to reinvent the wheel just to have everything on the same system if it's not going to provide any value to the organization. Correct. Just because it might look to get, look nice on a dashboard doesn't mean it makes sense for the company. Yeah. The only people that like dashboards are two people, the ones that don't, you don't care about the executives because they want, they don't want to deal with a bunch of reports. They just want a fancy dashboard. Who cares? There's no value add there. God love it. But um, the guys on the shop floor, they want that dashboard to understand what's coming down the line and what has to be shipped today. Absolutely, that that's that's a dashboard that counts. That's really helpful. And I tell you, I I would love to uh, quickly expand on the on the comment you made before about how the, uh, the the resourcing environment is changing for companies. Right? I know both you and I uh, can relate because uh, we both made the professional decision to leave corporate America. Right. And do our own consulting thing, which is wonderful. It's the best decision I had personally ever made. And I, and I remind myself that almost every day. However, you know, I'd like to people talk about the gig economy. Right. And, you know, arguably, you could say that the two of us are even part of the gig economy, even though we provide a little bit more of a professional service is what people think is, you know, just kind of like one off jobs. You know, how, how is that changing the resourcing dynamic at companies from your perspective, Jim? I actually don't necessarily agree with all the everything you said or the 100% on the gig economy because people are outsourcing based on, oh, that's a really expensive skill. I want to do it cheaper so I don't have to pay full time or that's a really hard hard to find skill. And so I, I want to go pro for, for every once in a while. I think that companies have to understand that the nature of work is changing. Too often, you know, they stick with who's been there for a long time or they stick with the people that are cheaper, but you, you end up with a company that knows their job, but doesn't truly understand their job. And 
if you really want to be nimble, if you really want to be able to service customers and understand the quickest way to get to value and, and be really innovative with products and processes, got to have people that understand these digital concepts, that can think differently, that can collaborate over space and time, who could think on their feet and think with data and reason with data. To be fair, it's really hard to find and it's really hard to train and not enough people invest enough in their training budgets because everybody's looking to cut costs. And so you have to go outside and get that. And I think that there's a, there's a bit of a Pollyanna in me that thinks that people are going, companies are going to invest in that. Uh, but I think there's a realist in me that says there's a, it's not super forward thinking. It's not really short term. However, there's a middle ground that people have to find ways to import these brains in, get those different ways of thinking embedded into their, their own team and give their teams the ability to succeed on their own and finding ways to prioritize that. That's definitely like beer conversation because I, I fully appreciate that's tough. Yeah, yeah. So maybe just rephrasing that real quick. Is the plug and play of thought leadership into your coexisting teams for those individuals, you know, is to essentially upscale your existing team when and where needed. You're not necessarily outsourcing all your operations or anything, but essentially it's the it's the importance of identifying thought leaders and consultants and experts in the field to augment your existing resources. Uh, did I get that right, Jim? Yeah, but definitely I would suggest that people invest in those kind of resources that can take at least part of their time and spend it teaching and spend it guiding and spend it mentoring. Basically, we, sh we should all in the consulting professions be trying to teach people to fish and not just you know dumping out fish. Now, I get it. It's super, super tough even to find the raw material to do that with. We've got plenty of stories from around the globe of uh, manufacturing companies, especially finding it really tough to get people with even basic skills that can be built upon. This quote unquote war on talent is up and down the, 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 the org chart from the execs at the bottom all the way to the, uh, the line people at the top that, you know, it's, it's really tough to find people. So that's my friends in HR, challenge number one, but investing in a broader set of tools for them uh, would be, uh, I think, uh, time well spent for the medium term, not just the long term. And talk to me a little bit, Jim, about your uh, new book that you published this year. I think it's called Don't Think So Much. Explain how that came to be. Well, that's a funny story because the title for the book was just, uh, hey, we were just hanging out and having some adult beverages. Uh, I was complaining about the fact that my my side gig domain was hard to spell and, and hard for people to uh, remember. And I was searching for a phrase that people could remember without writing it down. And so I had a great, you know, we came up with don't think so much. And I had great fun telling people, just send me an email at Jim at don't think so much. Yeah, don't worry, you, you remember that. And they did, everybody did. But when I wrote the book, I was searching around for a title. And uh, somebody said, I thought the title was Don't Think So Much. Why do you have that site for? And I'm like, oh, what a great idea. <laughs> it was by accident. But I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I enjoy speaking and I want to get more speaking opportunities out there, connecting with companies or organizations that want to talk about this, you know, internally with their, with their you know, larger teams or externally in associations. And the original idea, the structure for all this stuff that's in the book or things I've been talking about, hey, this isn't doesn't have to be that difficult. It's fairly straightforward. But then 
It doesn't have to be 100% new. Here's all the things in your IT department, in your HR department, in your finance department, in your operations group that you can bring to the table to really build a, a successful transformation. And not just leverage the existing skills and get everybody on the team, but I also spend a chapter or two in there on, you know, leadership and what it takes to lead a group like that. So lots of lots of great ideas. And I want to get them out there because uh, it's just there's tons of questions going on. And I just wanted to help me help me uh, accelerate the conversations. Right. I imagine as a culmination of all your experiences and kind of lessons learned over your uh, your adult life, if you will. <laughs> To be fair, there's there's some background of that, but it's really over the past four years. Okay. I suppose it assumes, you know, the book assumes that, you know, you get business, you get IT, you get a lot of these basic concepts, but really how do we transform into uh, and take advantage of this, this latest wave? Because I like talking about IoT a lot to holistically understand how that's going to change your company. That's really helpful. Hey, Jim, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Of course, it's an easy URL to remember. Don't think so much.com. That's the landing page for the book, but that takes you to uh, uh, my site, my website. The company's called Maker Turtle, and the story of that name is on the website. So go ahead and go there. But um, there I've collected my writing and my speaking stuff. And, I've, and I and you say I've been writing online for about uh, 15 years now. So there's over 500 articles out there on a wide range of topics. And then, you know, anything that folks want to continue talking about, just, you know, use the uh, contact me page to uh, let's start the conversation because lots of cool things going on and um, plenty more writing uh, coming up. That sounds great. Sounds great. Well, thank you very much, Jim, for your time. I know our audience would, uh, would have appreciated here quite greatly. And, uh, there it is, Jim McLennan, strategic consultant on digital transformation and uh, author at MakerTurtle.com. Thanks, Jim. Hey, thanks very much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.